Welcome to James the Sage week three. Thank you for joining us. I will be discussing James chapter one, verses five through eight. In order to frame that, though, I'm going to go back and reread verses two through four as well. So this is the entire uh, section in the book of James chapter one, beginning in verse two through verse eight. It says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. By all metrics, 2020 has been an absolute dumpster fire. We've lost superheroes who were larger than life, who in many ways became the on-screen hope of an entire culture. We've witnessed shootings, plural, police and otherwise, that seem to defy logic, and we have debated them online using hateful and dismissive tones. From George Floyd to Breonna Taylor to Jacob Blake, we have had to confront our biases, our prejudice, our humanity, really. We've also had to confront Black Lives Matter, perhaps for the first time in earnest, And we've had to wrestle with what that means and how we love and how we fight and how we care for the police officers that we know and love as well. Uh, Within our culture, there seems to be polarities that, that disallow people from loving everyone well. We've witnessed or perhaps we've participated in protests We've held signs or affixed stickers to our car and changed our profile pictures on Facebook for an hour or a day or a month. We've seen riots and violence, and we've struggled to make sense of it all, often because we're so far removed from what hundreds of years of systemic racism and unjust treatment does to a people. We've become angry because of the diverse perspectives of our neighbors or, more likely, our Facebook friends. And not just about racial inequity, but about COVID and science and religion and education and college football. Some of these perspectives have been thoughtful and others, uh, what do we say here, Um, not so thoughtful, I guess, works. We've unfollowed and unfriended so many people. We've canceled so many things. And all the while, we've been quarantined in our homes due to a global pandemic that has killed too many people. We've wiped down our mail and our groceries. We've compared models of potential outcomes by experts. We've pretended to be epidemiologists. We've pretended to be legislators. We've made decisions about when to go out, how to go out, with whom we are going out what to eat, how to eat, where to eat, with whom to eat. We've had so many decisions. Parents have had to consider what to do with their kids and what not to do with their kids. We've made decisions. We've adapted. We've adjusted. We've been yelled at for wearing a mask or not wearing a mask or not wearing the right mask or not wearing the right mask the right way. We've transformed our homes into makeshift classrooms or offices or recording studios. We've seen We've seen people get sick. 
We've seen most people get better, but we've seen people get sick. We've lost people that we love. We've grieved alone without proper rituals and without the comfort of community. We've been anxious for months about our health, about the health of our loved ones, or about what global atrocity is coming next this year seems to know no bounds. For many of us, November looms large, though that means different things to different people. We can all most likely agree that our nation's political situation is nauseating and less than what we would hope for. Again, you're free to interpret that however you like, but no one, to my knowledge, is super pumped about what's going on because, if nothing else, there still exists some people in the world who are not affiliated with your political party, and that, as far as I can tell, is not seen as ideal by most people. The school system is a mess, though despite constant curveballs, teachers are working their butts off to prepare for children, whether online or in person. Our programs, our plans, our normalcy, our day-to-day is also a mess. So so here's the question, and admittedly, this is somewhat self-centered because much of the above is is not about us. It's larger than that. But here's the question. What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to exist in this time in American history? Last week, I argued that before we can apply the first few verses of James's teaching, we have to set them in their proper context, which I then described as economic injustice or economic exploitation. Throughout the book, James seems to highlight the disparity between the rich and the poor. And this has to inform our understanding of the many trials that his audience is going through. I also suggested that, and maybe perhaps a bit too forcefully, that this is not our situation, this economic injustice that we face or the economic exploitation that that we face. As a mostly middle-class audience, we don't face these issues, not in this way at least. In fact, we would probably identify more closely with the rich that James highlights throughout the book. But in the same way, we too, we do experience many trials, and just like James's audience, we are called to look through our trials, which is what James is talking about, looking through our trials and trust that we are being formed, that we are moving toward maturity and completeness, because when we suffer, we become more like Jesus. This is a, a tough pill to swallow, and it's led to some really bad readings of the Bible. The foremost is believing that God is placing these trials in our lives on purpose as part of God's plan. And, and once again, just before we go any farther, please know, I, I don't believe this is the case. Your loss, your pain, the tragedy that you have experienced is not divinely orchestrated to teach you something that you would otherwise not know about yourself. But here we are. We struggle, and those around us struggle, and many times we cannot believe that any good comes from it. So James, in a pretty clever rhetorical move, this is like a stair-step approach. In verse 4, he says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then he begins verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom... 
you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And we typically think of wisdom as being smart, as knowing the right answers. When we pray for wisdom, I think the underlying message is, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do here, God, so give me some wisdom, which is code for give me the right answer. Help me discern what to do. And and I've been there a, a lot. When Kate and I were considering what to do with our kids for school, we prayed for wisdom, which was code for tell us the right answer here. When my kids are driving me insane at home, I pray for wisdom. When I'm driving Kate insane at home, I pray for wisdom. When our friends are hurting and carrying unbelievable burdens, I pray for wisdom because I have no idea what I'm doing and I want to know what I'm supposed to do. I pray for wisdom in the sense of, God, tell me what the right answer is here. Now, th- this is somewhat related, um, but when I've seen the devastation of our black and brown brothers and sisters, I also pray for wisdom. And sometimes that looks like, give me the right answer. A favorite author, podcaster, kind of political commentator, um, his name is Jamar Tisby. He he posted something a few weeks ago right on the heels of uh, Jacob Blake. And he said, I've reached a point where I know I could never flourish in a church that has to debate Black Lives Matter, the words, the concept, the organization. When police shoot black men like Jacob Blake, he writes, why is there even a question? I could never flourish spiritually. I could never feel at peace putting my family in such an environment. I could never fully trust the ethics or theology at a church that compromises with racism in the face of black death, at a church that tiptoes around prophetic calls for justice, at a church that wrings its hands over how some members might respond. He says, you may disagree. Consensus has never been achieved about the value of black life. I just know that when a people realize their God-given dignity, do not look for them in places that continue to debate it. I shared this post on Facebook, knowing the types of responses it might elicit. And I shared it not simply because I agree with Tisby, but because here are the very real thoughts and feelings and emotions from a brother in Christ struggling to rectify the situation as he perceives it and the church's response to it. And he's right. We, we could debate this. We do debate this. Uh, it's ongoing, in fact. But do we immediately discount or begin to qualify or raise our own opinions and feelings? When we hear opinions that are distinct from our own, we need we need wisdom, and we want answers. We want to know what's right. As a minister, I feel this at an especially deep level, but what we need is wisdom. When James talks about this, he doesn't mean just being wise. He doesn't just mean discernment or right answers. Uh, New Testament commentator Scott McKnight writes, It is not just the wisdom of the gray-haired sage who spins riddles and attracts intellectual guests. 
but the wisdom that manifests itself in a certain kind of community life. It is, McKnight writes, a kind of life that pursues justice, love, peace. For McKnight's interpretation of James, wisdom is not simply knowing what to do, but wisdom is manifested in a certain kind of community life. In other words, James is not saying, if we want to be smarter, God will grant us wisdom. He's saying, if we find ourselves in impossible situations, as we so often have over the last few months, we need wisdom to live rightly. And he says, God will grant us that sort of wisdom. To to bring this to a a good point of conclusion, I think we can uh, skip ahead a little bit in the book of James to a passage where wisdom is, is unpacked in more detail. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I believe that's chapter 3, verse 13. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Lately, I've been describing much of my own communal life in this way. It's like the end of the summer, and I'm in the back of the van, and I'm just poking and prodding at my brother or sister, and the parents turn around and say, I can't wait for you guys just to go back to school. I know that what James is describing here, this wisdom, this this peacefulness, this consideration, this good fruit, I... I don't feel at this moment that I have it. I'm in the back of the van. I'm creating havoc. I'm looking for a fight. I'm looking to prove my own rightness. I'm looking to be the smartest, most well-read person in the room. I'm looking to be the one who has read the latest uh, essay in The Atlantic. I I want to be able to know um, a a way to have conversations with people, and I also want to know a way to shut down their line of, of argumentation if it confronts my own ideologies. This week, I've been confronted by the reality that, according to James, God will grant me and you wisdom because God has this single-minded focus and gives ungrudgingly, and that's good news, but we have to be strong enough to ask for it. And remember, we're not asking for answers. We're not asking for rightness. We're asking for a life that demonstrates a wisdom in love and peacefulness and justice. Now, there's one qualification to to all of this that presents even more difficulties for us, both interpretive and, and also practically. James writes, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And the reason why this has been difficult, at least for me, is because for years, TRP has championed doubt. We have admitted honestly and bravely that we don't have it all figured out, that there are questions regarding Christian theology that we don't have the answers to, that there are passages in the Bible that defy easy explanation, and that there are tenets of our faith that stretch 
the bounds of believability. I, I stand by that. I will continue to champion that. I will always make room for the intellectuals who struggle with some of the crazy that is at the heart of the Christian faith. But if we understand belief not as intellectual certainty, but as radical trust, then I believe it's very possible to meet the expectations that James is setting out for his audience. For example, I can doubt what happens to me after I die because, I mean, I haven't died yet, so I don't really know. I, at the very least, can't be certain about it. I can doubt what happens to me after I die and still trust that this life is not the end. I can doubt my construction of God's character because ultimately it's, it's unknowable and still trust that God is good. I can fail to prove that Jesus has been raised from the dead in a way that would satisfy my need or your need for empirical evidence and still trust in a risen Savior. And I can believe, I can trust that a God who gives generously with a single-minded focus with no grudges will grant me a wisdom that exhibits itself as peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James is not asking for our certainty here. James is asking us to live as people who have a single-minded focus to emulate Jesus, to love our neighbor well, to fight for inclusion and justice and equity, to advocate for those on the margins, to not give in to our primal urges for violence, to not live in the pursuit of our own rightness, to not chase certainty as the goal, so let's let's think about this. 2020 has been absolutely horrific. We have very little idea, I think this is fair for me to say, we have very little idea what we are doing about many things, about racial reconciliation, about political unrest, about the polarization in our country, about the polarization in our families about all the craziness that we see online, about all the people who want to yell at us for our mask, about so many of the things that we're forced to make decisions on each day, we have very little idea what we are doing. If we hear James, I believe what he is saying to us is this. God gives wisdom. Maybe not answers, that's your thinking about it, but God will give wisdom to you and it will be evident in how we live because wisdom is always enacted. More specifically, it will be evident in us by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. I, I believe we can do this. I believe that if we are guided by our love of neighbor, we will be impelled to do this. And I believe that our example, our emulation of Jesus in this wisdom that we enact, our radical trust in him and the good deeds that result, I believe that that will offer a beautiful contrast to our hate-filled world. So when you have no idea what to do, when the trials that you face render you helpless, when you struggle to believe that maturity and completeness are being worked out in your life, when you do not identify the difficulties that we face with our good and gracious Savior, 
who also knows suffering and pain and hurt and many trials. May we be peace-loving and considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, because that's what wisdom looks like. We may not have the right answers. We may not always know what to do. We will not. We might not always agree with the people that we love. We might have to unfollow a few more friends on Facebook, but we can know the wise life that we should be living. And we should remember and trust that God will empower us to live in that Jesus-centered, loving way. All we need to do is ask. 